Welcome to the DMBA podcast, where we share business confidence with the design community. Today with me are Franz and Tom. Hey, Franz. Hey, Tom. Hey. Hey, guys. And today we're doing another business design teardown, which is a format where we take a cool brand or a product, something that design community um, loves um, or generally likes, and then we look at the business behind that product or service. Uh, because we want to see if this is just a fancy design, fancy service, or is it a fancy business as well. So, Tom, which company are we tearing down and probably literally tearing down mm. today? Yeah, and we, we won't be the first to have uh, torn no. down this one. Um, doesn't need much introduction. Today's company is WeWork. Um, and unless you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years or so, um, You'll have heard of WeWork, the famous co-working company that had ambitions beyond co-working that were kind of tempered, um, shall we say, and we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, a co-working company, enormous, um, had an incredible uh, growth cycle um, and also an incredible crashing as well. And has now become something of a cautionary tale uh, in startup land. Um, I'm sure we will pick over some of that today. Countless documentaries, books, dramatizations have been put together for this company. You've probably, if you've listened to this, encountered some of those before. Um, but yeah, started in 2008 by uh, Adam Newman, who has become kind of the famous, um, well, one of, one of the most famous and infamous founders uh, in recent history, to be sure, uh, and an architect called Miguel McKelvey. Um, they met in New York. Uh, and actually started a co-working company called Greendesk before uh, Rework. Um, that was the sort of precursor uh, to WeWork, uh, which was a kind of eco-friendly co-working space. And the money that they made from that um, went on to allow them to start what, what would become uh, WeWork. Um, and it's probably worth us starting off by just defining what we mean by co-working. Um, because WeWork in its early days, I think, was trying to build out a particular flavor of it. And it's now become a bit more conventional um, as part of the work that happened kind of post-2018. Um, but when we talk about co-working, what we mean is uh, a, a physical space um, that is more flexible than a traditional um, office lease. So typically a building that's been, um, the lease has been bought by a co-working company. They then slice and dice it up into um, more flexible uh, workspaces. So hot desking where you can come and pay for say a day to come and sit anywhere and, and work or you might have a small office or a whole floor within a building and you will pay different amounts depending on um, what kind of access you want. Do you just want a few hours a week? Do you just want a day? Do you want a whole floor? So that's what we mean by co-working um, and different companies have different kind of unique selling points when it comes to theirs. Um, so yeah, we're gonna, as always, um, get into the, the business model, uh, the strategy with Franz, get into the numbers with Alan as well. Uh, and then finally, kind of wrap up with the, the threats and opportunities for WeWork moving forward uh, mm -hmm. in an area that has grown enormously um, in the last 10, 15 years. So I was gonna start off, um, chaps, by asking if either of you have been to a WeWork yourselves or um, do you use co-working much? How has WeWork compared from your perspective? I've never been to WeWork. Right. 
I've been to many co-working spaces and I finally decided that I don't like it. <laughs> no, it was, so, um, you know, DMBA is a remote company, so we all mm. work from home. And after having worked in an office for a while, I did miss company. Uh, so I went to co-working spaces, but then I realized that you don't really know these people. Yes, there is sometimes a community, so you can chat, but also, um, yeah, it's never going to be super close like your colleagues, at least for me. It wasn't in all mm. the co-working spaces that I went to. Um, secondly, I just couldn't, could, I couldn't um, work in like crowded spaces. Um, mm. I know that my office before also had a bigger office and I was one desk with many other people, but it was different uh, when all of them worked in one company um, in um, contrast to everybody working in a different company and every talking about different, everybody talking about different stuff. Uh, so this is why I didn't like working there. But honestly, the biggest thing that made me not want to go into co-working spaces is my um, shift from uh, not liking to work alone at home to loving to work uh, from right. home alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so by now, I love being alone. I love going only to meetings when I have to. I love to be able to be concentrated, to put my head down, and then have my social contacts after work. So right. um, I really, really enjoy not sharing a space with people. <laughs> just hates people yeah <laughs> that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying i like to work a lot no, i'm joking I, I'm, the, I'm the same and i'll come i'll come back around to that in a minute with uh, in a moment with my sort of experience of co-working which does match very very tightly with yours friends uh, but alan um been mm. a been a rework we work at even have you used co-working much i've been to a few we works i believe berlin maybe london and munich and i did like it. I mean, I've never been a member, but I did just visit someone and it always felt like a nice open architecture, you know, it had a nice feeling of a cafe where you can work, but I never really worked there. Mm. So I can't speak to that, but I did, uh, I was a part of a, another co-working space in Berlin called Factory. And that was back when uh, the membership for Factory was just 50 euros. That's like 60 bucks. Mm. And for that price, basically um had a hot desk which is an unbelievable price by the way and i remember two years into me being a member of that space they raised it to 150 uh euros 170 dollars something like that and there was a huge riot among people even though it was very obvious that this needs to be done because with 50 you can't make it work but we'll talk about the business one later but yeah, what the way I used the factory was basically like my second office. So it was just a way for me to change the space when I needed it to change. And then even when I used the co-working space, I used it as a library. So I wanted to go in there and <clears throat> just work alone, but be among people, mm. um, but not, you know, like be there to socialize as such. With one exception, there was a really nice tennis, uh, table tennis table. Yeah, tennis, yeah, of course, table. Ping pong table. Uh, ping pong table, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Franz. There was a colleague who I always beat. So I loved going there just to just to get my 
you go up if I had a bad day. So that was another reason to go up there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm looking forward to one day uh, taking you on, Alan. I reckon could be a good little uh, DMBA matchup. Mm. Match. Maybe. Are you mm. are you good? Uh, I don't like to, you know, talk about it. No, I'm terrible, actually. I used to, <laughs> okay. I had a contract recently with a similar thing, and yeah, I'd always get spanked. But I do enjoy it. And my sport yeah, then, prowess uh, then has I would love to do with my it. ability. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to beat you. In this case, I'm happy. Kick your ass. That'd be great. Um, interesting. I think we've, yeah, I, I come from a very similar space. I don't know. It's a bit of a... Um, cliche isn't it that a lot of designers are quite introverted and I'm not necessarily projecting that onto both of you but I consider myself an introvert and I've worked at a lot of co-working spaces uh Brighton we've got quite a few and I've tried hot desking really didn't like the uncertainty of whether I was going to get a desk the noise working from a small screen ended up getting like a permanent desk but still within the co-working space and just found the noise unbearable um the distractions um you know like many of us, I'm running a lot of client calls and workshops and training remotely, and mm. it would just stress me out too much. So mm. I actually now, um, the room that I'm in now is in a co-working space. So I now rent uh, a really small private office within a wider co-working. Um, and that for me works really well. because I've got a nice home office, but there's something about getting out of the house, the exercise, um, when I want to be around other people, I can go for a wander. I can go and sit and do some emails in the cafe area. And that I like that feeling. I like that buzz. But I can go just shut the door, come in here, and I know I've got privacy and no distractions. So, um, yeah, I think the only mode of co-working that works for me is the solo one. Not like co-working. <laughs> Not really co-working. <laughs> no. um, just having it in tiny little, you know, little... Um, little micro bursts of other people yeah. but i don't really want the community aspect of it as things stand which is terrible to say because they do a really good job particularly where i am now of fostering that um but that is a big thing people want right that is one of the big selling points of co-working is that community piece mm. um if you want it so interesting yeah. interesting yeah. so yeah there's lots of other ways that co-working can be useful like meeting rooms and things like that so we was kind of moving into the sort of business model um strategy side of things so I'm gonna hand over to franz to kind of start taking us through some of that stuff sure thing um yeah as always i'm gonna be talking about strategic decisions that set the company apart from its competition made it successful obviously in this case it didn't only make it successful, but also led to a crash and yeah, still going on. So I have a little story prepared, um, which encompasses three chapters. <laughs> so, okay. I love stories. How long have we got? <laughs> Chapter one, take off, um, becoming the highest valued venture backed startup in the US, which is what um, WeWork was when uber went public so after uber going public mm -hmm. we work was the highest valued um startup in the us uh, with a valuation of 47 billion and i mean how did it start how did it start and the interesting thing is we always talk about these things so naturally right we just talked about our experience about co-working and how we liked it and how we didn't like it but again, remember, this company was founded in 2008, 2009. Co-working was not a thing back then. So mm. um, 
we're talking obviously about the biggest first strategic decision, which is a good timing and exploiting a current market trend. Um, and everybody who is old enough to have lived uh, through 2008, 2007 financial crisis, raise your hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're going to remember what happened. So I don't want to go into financial crisis here and why it happened and how it happened, but let's all remember what happened in the end. And it was a lot of people losing their jobs, uh, having an econo economic crisis, companies closing offices, or even shutting down for good. And this is exactly when we work started. And it started together with the birth of the gig and sharing economy. So Uber was founded at this time, Airbnb was founded at this time, DoorDash was founded a little bit later. So all of this um, sharing economy, all of this gig economy, also freelancing was what basically boomed or even like started at this point in time. Um, because also companies obviously hesitated to hire full-time people and rather relied on temporary workforce. So this freelancing thing just really started to get going at this point in time. And just in general, startups boomed because after an initial contraction of the whole financial market, money was super cheap. So there are a lot of people who got unemployed, founded companies, needed office spaces, and that just... Uh, created this big market opportunity for WeWork, which they um, realized and capitalized on, right? So they realized that this trend uh, was there and created offices for this new generation of workers and companies. So they basically, I mean, I'm not saying co-working wasn't there at all, but what they did was making co-working big and scaling it and having huge open spaces, collaborative areas, hip and fresh atmosphere, not only having an office, but as you said, Tom, having also a community, really focusing on this community and not only selling the space um, like traditional uh, office companies do, did, but also sold this experience and sense of belonging to a community. And both of that combined with a really, really great branding, right? If you were at WeWork, you were not working right you didn't have a job you were living that dream uh in these fancy spaces with full fridges and pizza and a rooftop and everything flexible on monthly contracts and a great community so this value proposition was really um framed around this yeah new wave of how people work after this after this crisis basically yeah and, you know, design, big part of that, right? Like you yeah. said, the design of the space, the design of the experience. Um, you, you mentioned co-working had been around. I'd used co-working back in the day, and it was just like being in a big open plan office, didn't have all the bells and whistles. But you look at what WeWork did architecturally, like just separated itself enormously. Yep. And like you say, all the perks, some of them are a little weird, some, you know, DJs and hot tubs and all that kind of madness. But, um, <laughs> they had hot tubs? <laughs> Well, yeah, some of, the, some of them did apparently early doors. I was kind of looking up weird facts about what some of the WeWorks had. And um, yeah, there was pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, all, it all looked very good as well. If you were a startup, um, you know, kind of working in that kind of atmosphere. A um, lot of yeah. it may be a little superficial, but it definitely got people through the door. 
Absolutely. And basically, yeah, WeWork was renting out great office spaces, right? That's what they did. Mm. But mm. now, next step, right? Strategic decision. Early on, they made a decisive move. They somehow managed to convince investors that they are a tech company. So if we now talk about what WeWork does, everybody says, yeah, they're renting out offices. But what they tried to do and what they actually did is they sold themselves to investors or to the world, not as a real estate company or as an office company, but as a tech company. And in hindsight, that sounds ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. But now we are in the chapter one, right? How it all became successful. And that was a key feature of their branding towards investors. They preached over and over again that they utilize very sophisticated data analysis to create optimal workspaces and data helps them to design their great workspaces and they have this internal software that lets them understand how people use the spaces and this helps them to, op uh, to uh, optimize um, occupation and also helps them to find out where to build the next spaces. Uh, where to build the next spaces and all of that was basically hyped in a way that they portrayed and sold themselves as a tech company which means that they were also able to kind of um, get investments like a tech company right because a valuation of 47 uh, billion for uh, 47 billion um, dollars is not what you typically typically expect from a landlord but yeah that was one of their game to actually yeah make it um on the list of huge investors i have a good 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 quote for this one so a one of the journalists that i found in the research said adam so the founder of WeWork, had a quality to convince investors to look at a pigeon and see a swan <laughs> wow, yeah. great point. And uh, so these people were uh, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, SoftBank, Amazon, Ashton Kutcher. It's like all of these people invested into this, right? Very sophisticated. Um, yeah, mostly very sophisticated um, business decision makers and investors. Exactly. And with being able to get tech-like investments, they were also able to drive tech-like expansion. Right, So very early on, they focused on radical growth and radical internationalization. At peak, they had over 800 co-working spaces in 123 cities in 38 countries. Crazy. And I mean, this sounds big, but there is a nice comparison that I read. They were the biggest office occupiers in London and New York. That's crazy. Like, and imagine that. Mm. I think they still are in many of these cities. I think in Manhattan, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Crazy. So, crazy thing, right? They were like expanding like crazy with this money that they also partly got through, um, yeah, portraying themselves as a tech company. Um, but interestingly, again, this helped them to go the next step, which made it possible for them um to be successful which was focusing on corporate consumers 
So corporates basically renting out offices. So in the beginning, target group was basically freelancers and startups. Um, but also, as you know, as a company, you'd rather rent out something to not to one person needing one desk or needing one room, but to a company that maybe needs a floor or half floor or some offices. Mm -hmm. So now that WeWork had this name and this brand of, hey, we are this forward thinking company um, and everybody who moves something in this world somehow works in WeWork and this is where work happens. Um, that also helped them to attract these big um, corporate clients. So they also valued this flexibility of the leases, obviously. It was just quicker and cheaper and more flexible than renting their own offices. It was hip to be in a WeWork. And by 2019, 40% uh, of their members were actually enterprise clients, which is pretty good um, because usually enterprises, they enter in um, longer term leases than you would get from a single person, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And last step, and now we are already in 2019, was um, the, that's the last, last, last chapter now? No, that's the last step of the first chapter, Alan. Ooh, How much time do you okay. have? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just thought I missed the second chapter, so I wanted to ask you about it. No, no, no. We have enough time, Franz. We're we still in the, the whole being successful phase, and the now we're off. in a okay. phase that is super, um, or now we're with a step that is actually quite smart and visionary. We all know how it turned out, but that was the one um, positioning the company not only as a co-working company but as a conglomerate that could handle all aspects of people's lives so they rebranded from we work to the we company obviously they still had we work co-working then they had we live co-living and then they even had we grow which was a private elementary school uh, in <laughs> new york for with a tuition of 22 to 42,000 um, dollars a year. Sheesh. Yep. So again, super smart step. Now, always smart with this in this time frame, right? Super smart step. If you want to portray your company not as a, hey, I'm renting out office spaces, but hey, I am a tech company and I am doing more than being a landlord. This was a super smart step to um, double down on the notion that, yeah, WeWork was more than a real estate company, a tech-based, lifestyle-oriented, um, future-directed brand that basically covered the needs of how people live and work in the future. I can't believe we got to the 23rd minute and nobody set their tagline, which is they were there to elevate People's consciousness, right? Was that yeah. wasn't that their tagline? I can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was kind of the vision. So they did. They started with the WeWork, and then they started expanding into all these adjacent things, such as We Live and so on. Yeah. Because the idea was, we're not just an office um, space company, but we. This is just the beginning of how we get people together. And then we use our magic, our culture to actually create and add additional value, which is raising people's consciousness 
and through that we generate all these value. So that was basically the pitch to investors. Yep. You know, this is not just a space, but it's a soul that generates a lot of value. Yep. Super ambitious. But obviously Proof. hooked in and a lot of people. And that's it. Now buy, hold, sell. No, just kidding. Because now <laughs> we work crashes. <laughs> <laughs> What, before, so, you, before we talk about that, I was wondering, because you mentioned, if you don't mind, you, you mentioned sure, about sure. how they'd used, um, used this strategy of moving into other areas of people's lives in order to um, be seen as a tech company. Obviously, that that contributed to that enormous value, that enormous valuation. Are either of you touching on comparing that to like other um, co-working providers like IWG? Because I don't want to... Um, yeah, yeah okay. I'll go into that's, that in, that's an in, in the numbers. One, I think as far as, yeah how did they get to that to that to that valuation cool yeah, forward to that yeah interesting Sorry, Brad, but Brad. yeah let's put a pin on it and come back to it but it's mm. an interesting story sorry friends carry on all good okay ready for the crash the crash <sighs> yeah actually i imagined this to be a longer story so I was researching, I was like, okay, what were the decisions that led to this crash? Actually, nothing led to this crash. It was basically just one single event, which was they wanted to go public, which means until 2019, WeWork was fully private. Nobody had access to their books or finances ex except for their investors. And as I already said, they all believe that it's a tech company with a soul and creating huge value. But um, then when you intend to go public, you also need to um, file paperwork. So basically you need to go public before you go public if you want it like this. You just need to turn your company inside out and show everything that you've done and all your books and all your finances to the public. And it's not that they made some mistakes when doing this. It was just like, they just turned the company inside out and then they lifted, like, they lifted their skirts and everybody was like, what? <laughs> this is it? <laughs> and so yep. nothing happened. It was just, it was the same thing as before. There was no big mistake. There was no weird thing it was just everything that happened in the last 10 years or let's say four or five i don't know how long the books get uh were dated back everything that happened in the last years was just all of a sudden public and then the bubble burst and that was so interesting to me that it wasn't like yeah they made all these good decisions that led to that and then they made some not so good decisions and then it led to a decline it wasn't like this it was like all decisions that were thought to be good and then they lifted their skirt everybody looked at the inside and people were like nope we're not buying this anymore <laughs> there was one particular thing they wrote in that uh, paperwork that raised eyebrows and this is like obviously when your company is not profitable you use something called adjusted EBITDA to try to show okay, this is not our real loss and we will adjust our loss so it looks like it's less than it actually yeah. is. But they have something they called community-adjusted EBITDA. So this is made up, completely made up KPI, completely made up metric, which is something that 
you can do, but it's really frowned upon, especially in the finance world. Like there are metrics that have been used for years, decades, and they're just there so you can compare companies. And they just came up with community adjusted EBITDA. And you couldn't really know what it is because the definition was not also well thought through and written. You could just guess. And, um, you know, that was a sign to people like, do these people know what they're doing? Like, are the people running this company also trustworthy enough? Can we really trust a company? Because if you actually go and look at these paperwork that they filed, it's really uncommon for a company going public to file that type document that looks like that. It was like nothing that people usually see. It wasn't like serious document. Mm. It was like, because we're raising, uh, elevating people's consciousness, we're also going to raise the consciousness of investors and do this document differently. And that felt like almost a joke. People <laughs> realize these are not serious people. Yeah. There were no adults in the room. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, so you want to know what the big reveals were? What information was, let's say, mildly put shocking? Oh, I think one of these <laughs> the might be uh, one of my quiz questions, which I, I thought might get covered by now. Yeah, go for it. Nah, I'll start with the obvious one. Huge losses. Mm. Huge. Like huge losses. And now question for you, Alan. Do you want to cover it or should I stay at huge Go losses? It. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Huge losses. In 2018, WeWork had a revenue of 1.8 billion and a loss of 1.9 billion. It's a one-to-one -one ratio. That's usually not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, they're losing more money than they are even making. Mm, yeah. yeah. In the first half of 2019, when they planned, so they planned to go public in the end of 2019. In the first half of 2019, they already had lost 900 million. So already one, already, almost already $1 billion. Sick. And if you calculate this with every um, sign up, they would lose $5,000. In so five thousand dollars per new customer. Investors were subsidizing you to be in the WeWork. So for every ten bucks you paid, they were you were actually getting twenty bucks of value. Yeah. So yeah, that that became apparent. So imagine you're filing or you want to go public. Um, you, <laughs> you're opening your books, and then you're like, yeah, one point nine billion loss. And I don't know if those like documentaries and series are like good representations of how these people thought that were so Adam and others around him, but it also seems like they were oblivious to the fact that this is bad. It's like, this is pretty bad. Like, why would you go out and try to go public at this stage? Mm. It, it does, it's not a good story. Yeah, yeah, didn't make sense because usually that kind of tactic, you know, of sub like enormous. We see this all the time in tech startups, right? We've seen it in Uber, and we talked about it previously. You're usually just trying to eradicate the competition, right? We can use all this money just to completely eradicate uh, anyone else. But 
they weren't yeah. at that stage in the journey. And no. this is a, we might touch on this a bit more. And this is a very easy to copy business model as well. Yeah, exactly. As you just said, usually that can happen, right? You're mm. running huge losses for growth. And after that, you're monetizing on this and you try to turn your company profitable. As we said, uh, we work, try to convince everybody that they are a tech company. But with these filings, everybody now also understood that WeWork is a landlord company mm -hmm. and that the business model that they're running um, is highly risky. And that everybody realized that, yeah, it's not a landlord company, it's, uh, it's not a tech company, it's basically a highly inflated landlord with a huge risk in their business model, which comes from the model that they used to run, like in general, the, the, the general logic of the business model is we rent office spaces for 15 years and then we rent it out short term, slice it up and make profit with this. But what you're basically doing is you're betting on hiking property prices. So you hope that property prices go up and you basically win with your 15 years lease. Then you're betting on low interest rates. And just remember at this point in time, interest rates were close to zero. Mm -hmm. So you're betting on low interest rates uh, and you take this money to invest now. Um, and then you're betting on high occupancy rates, obviously, because if your spaces aren't filled, you can't make money. And the view of most investors was that WeWork wouldn't survive if any of these factors go wrong. So if just, in, um, if just interest rates would rise, they would not be able to make ends meet anymore. Um, if property prices would lower and it would be cheaper to rent some, somewhere else, again, they would go completely under. Actually, that's the wrong way of putting it because obviously they weren't uh, profitable now, but now it, uh, it became apparent that this is not a business model that would be profitable anywhere close, right? Because mm -hmm. this is a 15 years lease that they're entering and their business model is taking this 15 years lease, slicing it down in smaller desks into smaller timeframes and then selling these smaller, let's say, spaces and smaller timeframes for a premium to others. Um, but the risk involved in this, um, yeah, in this time span is just uh, mayhem and everybody saw that now yeah it was just clear that yeah the a landlord company won't ever be making explosive growth or returns like a tech company so that was number two right so number one was huge losses currently number two was huge risk in the business model not future-proof business model and number three was let's say again mildly put questionable management decisions that completely eroded the trust into the founder, um, Adam Newman, right? And here I decided to make a game because if you read these management decisions, you're like, no, he didn't. <laughs> I just want to remind you, he was not charged for any of these. So all of what he did was legal. Right. But mm. when you read this, it's like, how, like, how is this possible? So what we're going to play is fact or fiction. 
<laughs> was this a management decision made by WeWork or is this fiction? Nice. Cool. Are you ready? We're ready. Yes. Okay, so management decision number one. The company loaned Adam Newman $7 million at an interest rate of 64%, uh, 0.64%, so below 1%. Mm-hmm. And Adam Newman used parts of this money to buy property, which he then rented out to WeWork above market value. Fact or fiction? I have a feeling I'm going to say fact to all of these because <laughs> nothing can surprise me. But I'm just going to say fact. All of them are going to sound like they could be fact based on how wild this guy yeah. and WeWork yeah. were. I'm going to go fiction just to be, you know, make, keep it interesting. Yeah, I thought about changing the percentages a little bit, but actually, yeah, that's a fact. That's insane. Fuck. He loaned $7 million below 1% interest rate to buy property, which he then rented out to WeWork above market value. How is this legal? Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it not. depends on how much away from market value it is. If it's a li- slightly below market value with the interest and slightly above market value with the rent back, it's eyebrow rising, but not illegal. If it's like, you just rent it out for three times, then it is illegal. But yeah, this is it was something still... about you Sorry, having as a CEO having the best interest, having the like making the decisions that are the best interest of stakeholders, or in this case, like equity holders, because this doesn't seem to be one of them. But yeah, I know this is not a legal discussion now. It's just like mm. wow. Makes you quite angry some of this yeah. shit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, luckily this wasn't for stakeholders yet right no Mm. public one person tom Pryor bought a stake and then he was ripped off by such a dude it was still investors but again there were real people working Mm. for this company and they also suffered from uh this um this behavior right so yeah that was one so we were playing a fun game right obviously if you were with WeWork at this point in time this was not at all fun but let's continue fact or fiction in every single WeWork location, Newman had a private 120 square meters flat with a private chef. Uh, I think that's fiction. That's I think much. not even he, but that's a lot of chefs. Eight, 800 uh, <laughs> private chefs. I think this is uh, if fiction. This, if this is true, yeah. then I am quitting <laughs> the tech world because it's just, <laughs> this shit is mad. Bananas. And we're stopping the recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, I, I drove it too far with this one. <laughs> Maybe you should have said half a location, half locations. Okay, with it with a chef traveling with him to every location. That would have been more believable. Yeah, that would be better. Yeah. Okay. Ah. <laughs> okay. Next one. So you remember that um, it's now the We Company, right? Mm-hmm. Fact or fiction? Adam Newman privately trademarked the word We. <laughs> and licensed it back to the company for almost 6 million euros. This is oh, true. I, I also think this, I have a feeling I've heard this. I think it's true. Yeah. I mean, when I heard this, then that was the point in time when I thought of the game Factor Fiction, because I was like, no. That's no mad. way, man. Oh, like, like seriously? Really? 
that is actually that was one of the quiz questions <laughs> okay. like can you believe it um yeah absolutely insane yeah and i think this was disclosed in those papers yes. that company had to publish when they wanted to go public and that was one of those like super big red, red flags flag. for investors mm. like are you serious Adam? Adam? for real yeah, yeah. Mm. Nuts. That was fun, Franz. Um, I have another one. One more. One. Mm. WeWork invested 33 million in a startup that makes artificial waves because Adam oh. is a surfer boy. This is this is tr this is true. I think it's true. Uh, let's see. Is it this time I made it. I made a. Uh, I made a pitfall for you because it's not 33 million, but only 13 million. <laughs> Only thirteen. Okay, yeah. that's a good deal. Okay. And and just yeah. just just to say, we now only have two quiz questions. From me. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to put a ban on quizzes in How your segment. But um, yeah. I mean, this this story has like so. I even have. I I'm not gonna ask the next one, but I even have one more quiz question. But let's let's not. No, go go for it. Go for no, it. Go, we go. Might be able to skip yeah. mine now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fact or fiction? I can already tell you it's fact, but that's another one. Like he proposed a governance structure that gave his shares 20 times the voting power of ordinary shares. That was true, was that? Meaning that if he sold shares, which he did before the company went public, um, he would still have the controlling stake. Crazy. Did he in the end have 10x? No. So he had 10x, but he wanted to have 20x voting power. Yeah, he wanted. I don't know how much. It ended up going way down. He he really, um, you know, he he realized. I'm sure we all move into. They had to stand down, and those voting rights were were massively um, curtailed. Mm. But actually, this game. Um, I have another question for you, just to keep playing. I just came up with it, with it. So, fiction or fact? Is WeWork still claiming to be tech company or not? Oh. Uh, I need to phrase it differently. Um, WeWork is still claiming to be tech company. Fact or fiction? I'm going to say fiction. I, I think it's got much more sensible leadership in its uh, now, but yeah, maybe not. Ransom? Yeah. I would also say that there was maybe even one decision they had to make to still be alive. Mm. Yeah, I consciously made it a little bit more um, dramatic than it is. I don't think they're claiming that they are a tech company anymore, but I read their proxy annual report and they talk about their digital products. And I had a look at their digital products and they don't seem digital to me. So, for example, they talk about... Did you want to talk about that, Franz? No, go on. I didn't. <laughs> so, one of their products is called All Access. And what All Access is, it's basically you having access to co-working space near you 24-7. Near you um, so, to me, it, it's basically an app, right? But it is still renting out space. So... It's weird that they still try to portray or frame certain services 
that don't seem to be actually digital as digital. Because what would be digital is, you know, you actually having just an app and renting out space of others. But if you're renting out your own space, then this is just an app that helps you rent your own office. Yeah. So unless I'm mistaken, this is not really a digital uh, product. Mm. I guess in that vein, would you consider Uber a digital product? Because it's the same yes. concept, really, no, isn't but it? They don't have their own cars. That's the big difference. But this is this not an app where you don't... WeWork don't own the space that would be being rented out. So this is if you are a company that has some spare space, you can use this app to rent it out. Say this again. So, I mean, they're renting out their own space. I would say their own space. I thought you said it was like mm. a third-party thing where they could, you know, could be used to rent out, um, rent out some spare space that you have in your yeah, own if building. If I'm not mistaken, it's access in their select right. locations. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Bring us closer to the turnaround. What are they doing now? But just to end up with the crash chapter. So this all started mid 2019 when they filed these documents and all of these financials um, and also these management decisions actually came to know to the general public. And the result was actually Adam Newman being forced out of the company the value dropping from 47 billion to $5 billion, 80%. Um, SoftBank, their biggest investor, having to inject another 5 billion rescue investment and taking over control of the company. And yeah, from going public soon to not going public anywhere soon. So basically, indefinitely postponing the IPO. Yeah, so that was it with 2019. Um, and I was asking myself, honestly, how are they still alive? Like, how is this possible? And this is now chapter three. How are they still alive? Um, well, they're still alive by basically getting real and capitalizing on what they already have and using this huge investment that they already got. So as of my understanding, they went from tech orientation, hyper growth to well, a real estate company with rigorous cost cutting. So the first sign that they refocus their effort is who their new CEO is. He's called Sandeep Matrani and he's basically a real estate veteran. So basically they got somebody who has decades of experience in the real estate industry, which shows who the company should be in future, right? They completely terminated everything else than co-working. So co-living uh, is dead and also we grow, the school is, grow, uh, is closed. Uh, they had two rounds of layoff. The first round of layoff was 20% of the company. The second round of layoff is undisclosed. Quick question. First round of layoff was 20% of the company. How many people did they lay off? Mm. 2,000. Wait, quick math. So they had 800 locations. So if, I don't know, a location has, let's say 10 employees, that's 8,000 employees. And you said 20%. Yeah, I would also go, did you say 2,000, Tom? I did. 
Yeah, I'll go with 1,600. Prototyping with numbers. Alan Falic, thank you for sharing us. Well, yeah. um, it's 2,400. Okay. <laughs> 2,400, meaning that they have 12,000 employees at this point in time. Wow. 12,000. When I read this, I was like, I had to do the quick math because I was like, okay, 20%, 2,400. That is a lot of people. Um, yeah. But yeah, also a lot of people got laid off. This was the first round. The second round, as I said, was undisclosed. They also closed a lot of unprofitable locations and really focused on locations and cities with high occupancy rates and enterprise clients. So they are basically repositioning themselves as a provider for remote and flexible work. And my guess is if we didn't have COVID pandemic, we wouldn't have WeWork anymore. So it saved them? Yeah, I think it saved them. Because the company's closing their big locations and moving to hybrid, right? right. I know a few okay. companies in Brighton that are doing the same thing. They've had, they're coming to the end of a 10-year lease. They're getting like five members of staff in there a day. Like we're paying hundreds of thousands. Let's get some passes for WeWork, Platform 9, mm. whatever. Um, yeah. I think they were somehow able to carry themselves through through the first year of uh, pandemic and then that's the only reason why they're still alive that's yeah. my I, I so that's just my yeah <laughs> when I still. when I read the whole story why are they still alive I didn't see anything that really changed like they're still renting out they're just smaller they're the same thing just more real and smaller so now they're saying that they are a renting out spaces they're not saying we're yeah everything but else not much smaller like they still have let me check 780 locations you know so they do i wasn't yeah. aware of that yeah it's still huge operations uh in 39 countries um on the ceo front did you know that they recently so uh he just left the company and not just CEO, but also CFO. And one of my rules is when CFO leaves a company, don't <laughs> like, just stay away. The CFO is a person that usually knows the most about how bad or how good it is. And when CFO leaves on their own, it's usually a shit show. And that just happened, I think a few, few weeks back. Interesting. Awesome. France. So I am awesome. ready for <laughs> quiz and numbers. So that was the three chapters. Like, so my verdict is the only the only reason why they are still alive is COVID pandemic. And yeah, I have unlimited cash of this dude who runs the Vision Fund from SoftBank. I mm -hmm. forgot his name. Uh, I think Masa. He he just can't lose. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean he's got an enormous. If if there's a poster boy for sunk cost fallacy. Um, <laughs> it's got to be that one because they're never recouping all of that in, in well not anytime soon surely that's the, the amount of money never. that's been plowed into that company like you're right as someone who does not want to admit defeat um but yeah what an incredible story what an incredible waste of money <laughs> <laughs> total investment yeah. 10 billion more than 10 billion yeah somewhere i wrote it down i think it was four 
14.2. Yeah, crazy. 14.2 billion in a landlord company. <laughs> yeah, well, a sub, you know, a, a, land, a, a subletting company, really. I mean, the landlords yeah. are the ones that, get, that get, come out of this so well. So I think kind of going full circle around why they were able to explode in growth as well and why it, you know, is such a good deal for landlords is, so WeWork don't own, as you've said, don't own the buildings. They are leasing them for the 10, 15 years that someone else would be doing that. And those buildings typically, if they've got 10 floors, that landlord needs to try and find 10 different big companies that are willing to go into a 10-year lease and all of that stuff. WeWork come along and say, we'll take it, we'll take it all. And you ain't got to worry about this for 10, 15 years. Maybe a slight discount, you would assume, a fair discount. What a deal. Just sit on that forever. And then, yeah, it's the, the subletting that comes around that. But you can understand why the growth was so easy because what a proposition to take to um, the people who actually own the developers, real estate. Developers, right? Developers, yeah. Yeah. I haven't got to worry about this. Um, mm. And that, Well, maybe you do. Maybe Let's you see. do. Well, yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they had to have the astronomic growth, didn't they? Because we, we touched on this already, and I think we'll probably touch on it again when we look at threats and whatnot. A very easy business model to copy. So go out there and saturate the, the competitive arena, right? Like take this model and move as quickly as you can um, yeah. to own that space. It is easy to copy model. I think the harder thing to copy is just the branding mm. aspect of it. And also, let's say maybe they had the prime locations and that is a bit maybe like harder to then have the same location or a similar one. But I, I agree, yeah, there is definitely products and companies that are e mm. easier to defend than we were. Mm, definitely. My bigger question is, why would anyone want to copy this? And this is why I'm so, <laughs> hey, <laughs> this is why was... I'm so interested in numbers now because I like I know that there are bigger companies or other big companies who rent out offices and yeah. I think they're I mean obviously they are profitable but I don't think that they are printing money so not profitable either anymore no right. no mm. not anymore I mean okay. I could, yeah that's why I'm saying I think yeah you can copy it but why would you <laughs> yeah, yeah just as a side note like I had a couple of friends who wanted to move back home from Berlin to, to Slovenia here and that there's no co-working space in their hometown and they said hey let's maybe open up something quickly and as in my good fashion I was like hey let's quickly just prototype the numbers so we went on like the first you know real estate website we found an interesting space we put that under the costs and then we said okay how many and one of those two in that couple is an architect so it was easy to ask them ask him hey how many desks can we have in this space and then we quickly calculated what is the revenue and we did this for three different locations and every time we had a loss even before we started hiring people to run the space and then i started to realize well there's so many co-working spaces that have closed already in their hometown in the capital city in everywhere i know like hmm, maybe this isn't the best business and and then you hear about we work being valued at this number is just crazy like the, did no one run like the numbers it's really crazy mm. i think it all comes back to friends sort of 
points about how they frame themselves right to be able to yeah. get to those figures which yeah when we get into your comparisons alan will be interesting um well let's have a quick quiz and it's gonna be a short one two questions france <laughs> usually it's the other way around i know usually i'm like this when you do the company to oh, lecture because you take away the points it's worth us mentioning that we even before we came on air we, we we always have a bit of a chuckle that franz is worried that i'm gonna kind of steal all his points in my introduction so i, I don't think i did today um but you know, nope. he's repaid the favour by taking two of my <laughs> quiz questions. Um, so you are welcome. Yeah, cheers, man. Um, <laughs> okay, so question two. <laughs> um, so quick quiz, just so that we cleanse our brains before we get into Alan's lovely numbers. Um, mm -hmm. So what did WeWork ban from all events and staff expense claims in 2018? Was it A, gas or petrol-powered vehicles or vehicle journeys? B, any meals containing any meat or C, alcohol? When or was that? 2018. I would say B. B. Uh, that's my guess I... because of the the Adam's wife. I think Rebecca, right? Mm. That's her name. Friends? Yeah, I think if it was today, I would say guess. But as it was 2018, I think it wasn't that. I think it's also. I also think it's mm. meat. It was meat products, yeah, and I think it was heavily really? influenced they by from all, like... Banned them, yeah, cafes, cafeterias, any. They they held. Well, I don't know if they still do this sort of star festival that you had to pay for. Um, maybe they were trying to recoup some of the <laughs> investment. Uh, Wait, you, staff had to pay yeah, to join. Yeah, to go to this like festival thing. It was like a few hundred bucks to go to. It, it was crazy. But they so wait, my company organizes the event, <laughs> and I have to pay to go to. to I know. It. Another one of these could it be true um, moments. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, no meat. And this weirdly, that was really controversial at the time. I remember it getting a lot of media coverage, a lot of like kickback. Um, I think it would be less controversial now. Um, I think actually. you wouldn't also frame it like this. I think mm. you would say, we're banning meat, but you would say, hey, we're going vegetarian. Yes. This is awesome. Much better framing, friends. Yeah. Where were you in their marketing team <laughs> in 2018? PR master. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so not that controversial anymore. No. Um, final question, because we've already covered a few of them. Um, <laughs> already? WeWork wasn't Adam Newman's first business venture. His second company was called Crawlers, with a K. What did they make? Was it A, baby clothes with knee pads built into them? B, industrial drones that could scale buildings as well as fly? Or C, smart climbing gloves? A, B, or I C? Think, I think it's A. So what was it a baby clothes pads? with knee pads built in yeah yeah can i think baby one? go on Isn't this, can we just say a web crawler that would be too easy right? oh very good no that's not an answer where were you when i was brainstorming these ridiculous <laughs> other options no it was no baby was it clothes. A? yeah with knee pads built in didn't Weirdly. they sell was was it the this company that they sold or was it the other co-working company the co that they sold company. Yeah. Um, okay. this company actually went on to become a company called egg baby that i believe he still has a stake in um they make like upscale baby and expectant parent apparel um so yeah that's that's still going but yeah 
knee pad. I mean, Alan, I can. I think we can even pick up. There might be a, a toddler in in the room with you there. Yeah. Does that sound like something? Are you they would... wearing crawlers? Yeah, they got crawlers on. <laughs> no, and this this definitely makes me think about their safety and if I should invest in the knee pads. <laughs> yeah, knee pads, shin pads, helmets for for babies. <laughs> um, but yeah, crazy. So that's it. Yeah, Just, if yeah. anybody's audio is not as sensitive. We were hearing Alan's daughter in the background. Yeah. She was screaming out, Daddy, Daddy, I need shit. I need knee pads. <laughs> My knees are hurting. <laughs> My knees are hurting and I really want to go to a co-working space. Um, so, yeah, that's it. That's our very, very short quiz for today. And um, Franz, we, we'll, we'll catch up uh, before the next one about, <laughs> about quiz questions. Um, so... We've touched on a few numbers today, some pretty yeah. mad ones that um, made lots of headlines back in the day. But Alan, um, pass over to you to take us into the detail a bit more. Yeah, I think we have to start with the market cap today. So usually we start the, the, the numbers with the revenue of the company to see how big it is. But I hear the main headline is just how valuable the company is. So as Franz already mentioned, at the peak, the company was valued at $47 billion dollars. So just as a reference, today, for example, July 5th, Uber is worth around 80 billion. Um, and so for a company that raised $10 billion, being valued around 50 is not too bad. It's okay, you know, not great either, but it's okay. But as Franz already said before, after the crash, the company went from 50, roughly billion valuation to $5 billion in valuation. Does anyone want to guess how valuable or not valuable the company is today? It is, yeah, Tom. Yeah, go on. I, um, bum, 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 today, because obviously there was the headline when they made the initial crash. Mm. It's got to have crept up a bit because it's been more profitable. Seven, seven, eight billion, something like that. That's a good guess. 550 million. Wow. Really? Yes. Oh, so it's... 100x smaller so this is the reverse vc world so usually vc investors look for uh, companies that can be returned 100x on their money and this is exactly the opposite so something valued at 50 billion now being valued at 550 million and when i saw that number and by the way one stock costs 20 cents at the moment just just as an interesting fact um, I was like, hmm, maybe today is going to be the first episode where I say, actually, we should buy because this seems to be really undervalued. But let's take this apart. Why is it only 550 million? Maybe first, I just want to touch upon why the company that was making only 2 billion in revenue in 2018-19, why was it valued at 50 billion? So the interesting thing is in this stage, investors use something called multiples. So you apply a certain multiple to a company's revenue or a company's profitability to make a case, to make a, an estimate of how valuable the company it is. And different industries have different multiples. And the tech industry, for example, SaaS companies, software as a service companies, it's not uncommon to see 10x to 20x multiple of their revenue. But for real estate companies, that multiple is 1 to 3x. So huge difference. 
right? Mm -hmm. So if you can convince someone that this is not a pigeon, that it's a swan, you're gonna have you know a much higher valuation. So yeah, from two billion revenue to forty-seven billion in um, um, in, in in valuation, that's twenty-three x, which is crazy for essentially a real estate company. Can you hear my baby? She really wants those knee pads. Like, she, does. <laughs> she got, it's like that. These she got excited. Are hard man. Like getting some <laughs> <Yeah>. knee pads. <laughs> yeah. <No>. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> um, okay. So that's a crazy, crazy multiple. Um, and that, that didn't make sense. And once they showed the numbers, that was kind of clear. Um, but at the moment, the company, it's flipped because the revenue of the company at this, so at this stage, this year, 2022, they made 3.2 billion in revenue. Okay. And now it's only worth 550 million. Really? Um, so why is this happening? It's happening because um, WeWork had, yeah, 3.2 billion in revenue, but it also had still 2.3 billion in net loss. So still that ratio is pretty bad. And when you look at that, investors are asking themselves, are they gonna even survive? That's the bet at the moment. Is this company even gonna make it or is it gonna just go under? That's no, the last current question. 2.3 billion. So again, almost one to one. Okay, almost, yeah, yeah. Even though they're making all these restructurings and they're making like, Basically, now they have a little bit of wind in their, what's the analogy, sales, Tom? How in their sales, sales exactly, yeah. thanks. They have some wind in their sales. They still are struggling in bleeding cash. Um, and let's compare these to their closest competitor, which is Regus. So Regus also has hundreds of locations around the world. I think believe like 8,000 employees. So they- I was in Regus, by the way, coming back to, to Tom's question and no offense, but there was nothing like selling community and fancy spaces. Dead man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. One we should get into, but yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, sorry, you finish off about your comparison of IWG. It's, I think they're also known as IWG group, right? So like IWG, Regis, exactly. yeah, yeah. Regis. And so their market cap, uh, oh, let's start with revenue. Their revenue is 3.4 billion. That's in 2022. And they also had a loss of $150 million. This is all US dollars. So even their closest competitor is, it's of a similar size, but it's just run much more, um, yeah, rationally. Mm. It still had a loss last year. So it mm. wasn't the best year for real estate in general. And it seems to be a growing trend mm. um, so i don't know if you've heard about the occupancy rate being record low mm. in the sf so 30 the last data point is that 35 percent of all office real estate is empty seven so 35 percent is a lot mm. so yeah. the usual number is five percent occupancy so vacancy rate mm. And that's one of the main KPIs that you can use to compare or to see the, the the strength of such companies. It's their occupancy rate. And in normal times, it should be around 90%, 90 or above. Mm. And of these work is leasing companies. 
co-working this is or office leasing companies. All of these have a similar KPI. Mm -hmm. uh, this specific number uh, is applied to landlords, is applied to most co-working spaces and to, yeah, build to rent uh, models. And just a, re just a reminder, in 2022, we work at 75% occupancy rate, mm. which is almost as good as it, they had in 2018, which was 82%. Mm. The Regis one is an interesting comparison because um, they have been profitable in the past. So yeah, yeah everyone's suffering at the moment. Um, but their, val their valuation at the time that Rework had that nearly 50 billion valuation was still only like four or five billion. And yeah. they had at that time like much higher sales, triple the amount of spaces, um, lots more desks. It just didn't make any sense. Um, and I think this is what goes full circle to the kind of design element of this and the framing and the branding element of positioning yourself as a tech company, as a this lifestyle game changer. They're very similar business models, but Regis were looking at this and going, I don't understand like how yeah. how the F are they getting to this number? And they, I, they, I watched an interview with their CEO, and he was like, "We just couldn't, uh, we couldn't unpick what we were missing." And I could just imagine those, imagine those meetings. Like you are in the Regis um, C-suite meeting, and you're looking at those numbers, and you're probably spending a lot of money on consultants and mm -hmm. stuff to try to understand what are they doing differently that we need to adopt, and you end up with like. We don't understand. No. And it must have felt so frustrating. And, and frightening, until, probably, when you realize yeah, frightening what and, they, yeah. the, the sort of the hockey stick kind of investment and, and, and physical growth that was going on, not necessarily revenue. Um, well, we know that wasn't the case. Um, and, and again, coming back to the design element of it, you mentioned, Franz, you'd been to a Regis before. And there's, ironically, there's one like two floors up from where my co-working is. And my co-working is really nice, nicely designed in that kind of WeWork model. You go to the Regis, um, very plain. There's no communal spaces. It's very much just boxes. But that's fine because that obviously works for some people. They were mm -hmm. profitable. Um, there's there's a market for that. And, you know, that, that comes into a bigger discussion around where you fit in a competitive arena. Um so yeah, they were looking at this and going, I don't understand. How, how is this so different? And just, just to kind of um, wrap up on the, the Regis thing is ironically, um, well, unsurprisingly, they have now ended up creating their own WeWork style business, which is Spaces, um, mm. which I've worked out that we've got one in Brighton. I've worked out of those before, and that is very much more in that mold. But you pay, you pay for it. The, the difference between renting a Regis office and uh, and a um, a an office within a co-working space is you know it can be two x two x the numbers so yeah very interesting. That's basically it in terms of the numbers. I I was trying to make the game of like hey, which company has more like uh, market cap. Mm. But in this neighborhood of 550 million, there weren't any other well-known um, companies that we could play with. No. Uh, because this, I think once you reach below 3 billion, uh, you kind of fall under a bucket of small cap mm. companies. Yeah. And this is a bucket in its own. So, yeah. 
Interesting. No game today. Yeah, and there's no one at that scale. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> it's going to take a brave organization to try and get to that kind of scale again, um, having seen the rework story. Um, exactly. How that ended. Um, so, as always, we wrap up these conversations by talking about kind of threats and opportunities for for the company we're discussing. So, rework. I keep saying rework. We work. <laughs> um today um and then we kind of touch on whether we were bullish or bearish would we be buying or selling so maybe franz you can start us off with the sort of threats and opportunities as you see them for we work moving forward <laughs> i think that says it all that's a super hard texture for this one because obviously i still think that these co-working companies they can counter um a downturn so i think the fact that occupancy rates are so low for offices in cities does not necessarily tell that also co-working spaces are empty but maybe even helps them because it means that companies are actually shutting down offices people will still have to work somewhere they will not rent their own office but they will go into co-working spaces so i think this is a co-working space is somewhat a counter recession product mm. if the general economy is doing worse uh, i think co-working spaces might actually be doing better until people have to decide to work from home because they can't even afford a co-working space anymore but i, I think to a certain extent it is recession proof um, apart from this, we already had this, for this, we would have to have a bigger or a closer look at their finances, like how much of their money currently is dependent on interest rates. Obviously, currently we have, we had an interest rate hike. We have now reached a plateau. Maybe interest rates are falling again, but again, for a company in the real estate industry, rising interest rates are usually a big problem unless, again, you're actually not having any funds that are bound to interest rates and everything that you have is from SoftBank and they're just waiting to get some money back. Mm. Um, so I also don't think that interest rates are too huge of a threat here, but again, that's just me not being super informed about their um, finance structure. And in the end, I think the only thing that matters here is just, yeah, cutting costs <laughs> or rising, raising prices to somehow not let this company go under. And I think the only, yeah, apart from COVID, the only thing, the only reason why this company is not already closed down is the sunk costs that already went into it. Yeah, you think they'd be gone? Just I, dust. I now. think they would already be gone if there wasn't uh, this financial backing mm. of somebody who cannot lose and mm. who just wants to keep giving until something comes back. Um, I think if this wasn't the case, the company would have been shut down already. And now hearing about current numbers from Allen, I don't see this happening anytime soon because if um, a more budget conscious company like Regus isn't profitable yet, then how can we work be? So Yeah, not profitable at the moment, but yeah. Yeah. At the moment, yeah. Yeah. Cool. We'll come back to well, do you want to tell us whether you're buying or selling at the moment, Franz? I think yeah, you know ignoring. Ignoring. I'm, I'm, hope, I'm praying for them. <laughs> 
Alan, any thoughts on what could what could possibly turn things around for a WeWork, or is it a lost cause at this stage? I think it's a really tough business model. Um, in yeah, even when you make a really simple business case with simple furniture, things because of the flexibility that it's built into these memberships, it's just hard. Like the switching costs. Um, are not that big so people can switch from being in a we work to working at home to mm. something else um i just think it's a lost case honestly like i don't see a way out uh obviously i don't know that much about the company but if you just had a quick look at how much money they already lost what was the investment that went into it and what is the speed at which things are getting better i don't see them making it out um Opportunity, yes. If, I think Franz touched upon the biggest opportunity, which is there is a, you know, more hybrid work, and then companies decide to buy people like passes. So if that if they can get their occupancy rate rates closer to ninety five percent, then it could work. Especially, it could work if they could revolutionize. Rev revolutionize the business model and maybe have 120% occupancy rate, mm. um, That then, then it gets interesting. So I think they don't have just a financial problem, they also have a business model slash product problem. And what I mean with 120% occupancy rate is charge more people than you can actually fit in because not everyone, everybody uses it. Mm. Gym, so, right? Hmm? Classic, classic gym exactly. yeah. model yeah. where you always try to have <clears throat> more people signed up to your gym than you can actually fit in at a time because nobody gym aviation yeah, yeah a lot of companies industries do that so that's i think they need to also innovate on this side and it sounds like now they're trying to be a good solid company that does everything by the book and they because of the problems they're in they probably need, need to do another big innovation to make it out hmm. tough to do that over occupancy thing which like you say would be a you know an interesting route when you're trying to target big big um corporates and when they pay for their co-working it's it's on the it's in that more traditional vein of um space rather than the hot desks um yeah i yeah. i it, this has been fascinating because i have to, full disclosure co-working space is one of those like dream businesses for me like if i was to mm. leave design for a lot of people, it's running a coffee shop or something. I would love to start a co-working space for equally you. bad businesses. Oh apparently. man, yeah, tough, tough business. Both. Like, um, but yeah, and I've done those back of the napkin sort of calculations before and come away going, nah, not for me. So it really makes me wonder. I, I, in Brighton, in particular, we have got co-working spaces popping up all the time. Um, one opened a few months ago, and it's completely full, completely full. Um, Another one, another company called One Way East is opening here, and I just think, yeah, um, what a. I mean, I'm kind of bullish on co-working in general, as Fran said, um, with how things have changed. But we work not so much. Um, <laughs> having been to some of them recently as well in London, I have clients that work out of them. They're looking tired and they're looking understaffed, and I think it's a real shame but you go to some of the other competitors now and they they have probably been learned the lessons from WeWork as far as their corporate structure and their cost base and all of that. They are better designed, 
um, better experiences. They have their unique flavor and probably have got more chance of um, being sustainable. Mm. Um, some of those WeWorks are looking a little tired, but that's just anecdotal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, but I think people equate busy with good business. Mm. Um, not every busy restaurant is good business. Mm. Not every busy co-working space is a good business. And what I think a lot of these co-working spaces should start thinking about is how is co-working space as a rent? So how is my rent not my main source of mm. revenue? But how does it become the enabler of something else that I can do? You know, yeah. maybe it's, I mean, the first thought that I have is just like, uh, maybe people start companies there. And because they start companies in a co-working space, you get some equity. Mm. Or maybe, I don't know, you have certain events, or maybe, maybe it's also like just being clear that this is not the best business and we see that cities should invest in this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is good for the development of the city, of this talent being closer together, blah, 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 or something else. Because as a business, it's it's a really tricky one. And you need to do a lot of things right to get it profitable. And it's not easy to scale. Mm. I did I'd read that the kind of, the desirable metrics are like 80% of your income coming from desks and space and 20% from events and other services events. and things like that. But that needs to flip more probably um, towards the other direction. Yeah, mm. it's tricky. Tough business, restaurants, coffee shops, co-working. Very tough. Um, yeah, very hard. Yeah. Nice one. That was, that, was a, that was really interesting. What a, what a story. In, in such a short space Tom, of time as well. You didn't tell us buying, selling, calling. Oh, and by the way, this is informational and educational purposes yeah, only, not always. investment advice. Um, absolutely avoiding like the plague. I think from an <laughs> from an investment perspective, um, other co-working space companies that I've seen, yeah, maybe, but yeah, not this, not this one, and sadly, sadly not. We, we don't tend to come to the end of these feeling particularly bullish about anyone, do we? I don't know if that tells us a lot about the state of tech, tech investing and VC um, lifestyles and lifestyle cycles and things. But, uh, but at least this was the first real teardown. Yeah, proper teardown. Friends has been dying to do this. So, yeah, we were always yeah. like everywhere. Every company was so neat and so uh, all good and so successful. Yeah, maybe not buying them, but still mm -hmm. but now we were able to tear somebody down. Yeah, Francis finally, <laughs> finally managed to do that. One of many. <laughs> Francis hobby. Francis hobby. Down. Cool. Crushing people's dreams <laughs> through numbers. Nice. Well, I think we're done, done then, unless yeah. someone's got any final bits. I'll leave it to you, Alan, to, to wrap us up. I think that's it. Maybe the next one is going to be more positive. Mm. Let's see. But it, uh, it seems that designers love bad businesses. <laughs> That's maybe a common theme um, that we are seeing now. But I think if we did Lululemon episode now, it would just seem, their business would seem completely different maybe than it did in the beginning because also of the contrast maybe. that we have now with mm. others. But yeah, dear listener, if you enjoyed this conversation, you will also enjoy our mini MBA, which is a simple seven-day email course where... Over seven days, you receive seven emails, each of them teaching you a business concept that's relevant for designers. To sign up, head over to d.mba slash mini MBA. So that's d.mba slash mini 
NBA. And that is indeed everything in this episode. And see you in the next Teardown. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Franz. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.